Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. They're the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, just head over to audiblepodcast.com slash twip. This week on Twip, light leak issues with the 5D Mark III, Canon announces two new 4K video DSLRs, a Google Plus conference for photographers, and an interview with Reed Warner from Snapknot about what's new in wedding photography. It's Tuesday, April 17th, 2012, and this is Twip. And welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today is a, a show that's chock full of topics to talk about. We're going to be talking about light leak issues in the Canon 5D Mark III. We're going to be talking about the new 4K video DSLRs from Canon. We're going to try to demystify some of the, the mystery around model releases and when to get them, how to get them, and when to use them, all that cool stuff. So Nicole's going to help us get our brains around model releases. Um, there's a brand new cool conference out for uh, photographers that are using Google Plus from Google and the Kelby crew. So we're going to be talking about that. It's a Google Plus conference for photographers. And we're going to get a reality check on the wedding industry from Reed Warner of Snapknot.com. That's going to be an insert uh, interview that we're going we're gonna to stick in this show for you guys. So... Joining me today to talk about this stuff and a whole lot more are Ms. Nicole S. Young and Ron Brinkman. Hey, guys. Hey. Hello. All right. Let's, uh, let's catch up with Ron before we jump into the show. Ron, what have, uh, what have you been up to down there in Southern California? Last time we spoke, you were going somewhere with a, a gymnastic team, a female <laughs> gymnastic team or no, something the... like that. How did that go? <laughs> Obviously, you survived. But uh, it was what good. Was... It was the... Just a couple of gals from the Chinese Olympic volleyball team. <laughs> you kill me. You're like Austin Powers. You're just like you're like Austin Powers with a camera. Yeah, baby. He had uh, a camera, actually. He did. He, right. he did. So you're just um, you're Austin, barefoot Austin Powers. With, yes. You know. No, it was just yeah, we just had dinner. I just had to I had to bail out of our last to hang out quickly early because I was running off to dinner with a couple of friends of friends. Yeah, who happened to be on the. Yeah, a couple of very tall Chinese ladies who uh, we had dinner with. So, wow, that's cool. So, so it went well because you're being very cryptic about it. I assume it went very well. Well, you know, I wouldn't want to say anything that would get them in trouble with the Chinese <laughs> government. So, all right, moving on. Nicole Young. <laughs> Hi. Hey, Nicole. Welcome back. Hey, thanks. What have you been up to in your travels? You're always up to you're you are like the content creator extraordinaire. You're either shooting pictures and like in some way or another, you are creating like terabytes every single day of stuff. You know, what? not that much. Thankfully, not that much. Okay, be, gigabytes, like, gigabytes, hard drives. If that were the case, yeah. So, um, what, what have you created lately? Well, I'm actually on the tail end of creating another ebook for craft and vision. Oh, cool. Very cool. So I'm, I'm, I've got the writing, I'm almost done with the writing and then I've got to kind of full, you know, go into the, getting all the photos put together for it. And 
so that's those are books are pretty time consuming. Ebooks aren't as much as print books, but but they still they still got to be right. They still got to be perfect because it's your name on them going out, and they have to be they have to add value to the person that's buying them. Or what's the point, right? Yeah. Yeah. So and what else? Uh, A little bit of local travel. I went up to Canada for the weekend and took some pictures. Nice, nice. Hey, did you? Uh, since you're you're you got both feet in the ebook camp, did you buy your iPad three to view these? E-books I do. Or? I have an iPad three. Yes, of course you do. Of course. I you had do. well, I upgraded from the iPad one, so for me it was like a huge upgrade. You I know, still have my iPad one right here. I'm I'm the curmudgeon. <laughs> <laughs> it's so nice having a lighter, thinner. I like it. I like the smaller display. Or the... I, I've never bought one. Should I buy one of these things? <laughs> I'm not going to answer that of... question. I'm not answering that question. <laughs> no, I, I'm actually serious. I mean, I know a lot of people that you know were really into them for a while, and then uh, say they've kind of gone back to their you know. Ron, that that, that question is like, which camera should I buy? Ah, uh, no, it's not. Yes, I'm it is because it, dep- want... it all depends. Do you need one? I mean, what are you going to use it for? Are you going to get one just because everybody else has one, or do you have a use for it? Uh, I'm asking if you use it much. I don't. I use mine for a lot <laughs> of magazines and reading RSS and playing games. I don't. I you know the I use honestly. I use mine lately for draw something. <laughs> oh my gosh! I'm addicted to draw that something, like and because the screen on my ever. iPhone 4s is too small for draw something, I'm like, hey, I got iPad. I'm gonna draw something on my iPad. So, but you know, I and eBooks, of course. I I read eBooks on it, but that's that's the majority. And honestly, I. You know, I like reading ebooks on it. And I like the fact that I can load up a you know a crap load of ebooks on there. But I still prefer like the 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 tactile peach pit sort of handheld books. Like I have Martin Evening's Lightroom book, you know, and it's just you just want to feel that thing. It's like a phone book of Lightroom knowledge, you know. So I don't it's know. Like that are good because you know if you're sitting at your computer and you want to follow along with something, I find it easier to flip through the book find stuff, read it, instead of having to either have another digital display or a second monitor or the same monitor, yeah. trying to find what you're doing. I just find it a lot easier to work with with print books. But, you know, yeah, I'm not really biased, I guess, because I write both. <laughs> and all my print books become ebooks. So Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, even like when I'm taking notes for the show, I have this... I have a notepad right here that I'm <laughs> jotting on, but my iPad is off to the side. I could I yeah. could use it. I even have a stylus for it. You know, I could use it, but I'm using you know <laughs> pen and paper. That's smart. That you, probably you need a stylus. Draw I, something. I'm gonna, yeah, I, I got the stylus for draw something specifically. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, I want one now. I am so good at draws. I'm making <laughs> so Picasso good. drawings and draw something. If anybody wants to challenge me and draw something, it's just Frederick Van on there. Come on, bring uh, it. Bring I'm, bring I'm the art right after the show. Right after the show. <laughs> bring the art. I am uh, I am the master. All right, uh, guys. Before we continue, and while Ron is downloading, draw something. I want to <laughs> give a nod out to our uh, or not to our sponsor, Audible.com. They are uh, obviously sponsoring this podcast. They're the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including audio versions of many of the New York Times bestsellers. And for the listeners of This Week in Photo, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to kick the tires and light the fires on their site or on their service. And one audiobook to consider right now that I'm listening to Again, this is like time number 30 or something that I'm listening to it. Um, it's called The 4-Hour Workweek. 
And I'm, <laughs> every, I think I listen to it like once a quarter or something. Every three months, I pop that thing in there and I listen to it. It's, uh, it's really interesting. It's, it's, you know, it, it's inspiring. It's inspiring. Not that you're ever going to get to the four-hour work week, but the idea that he puts forth in the book is that you kind of do what Nicole's doing, right? So you build these independent revenue streams that drive your the the you know that pay for stuff like kind of like annuities almost so that you can then do the things that you want to do that's the the underlying sort of idea and i kind of like that it's actually it's actually really cool i think it's and i think it's very applicable to photographers too because most photographers are in this sort of entrepreneurial world and it's got just a ton of different suggestions for marketing yourself in a variety of fashions so i think it's actually very good yeah. Speaking of speaking of my audiobooks, did I ever mention the the Thousand Autumns of Jakob de Zoet? No, I haven't heard of that one. Ah, just finished it. My favorite novel of the last uh, year, at least. Huh. Really? I, what, what do yeah, you like about awesome. it? Uh, it's it's a historical set during like the Dutch trading with Japan, right? Whenever the Japanese sort of just barely started to open up in you know like the late 1700s. Um, just a great book. Very cool. Absolutely nothing to do with photography, but I recommend it highly. Very cool. All right. We'll put that on the reading list. And if any listeners out there, you know, for some reason lately I've become I've become like really interested in North Korea and what they're doing. Because they recently launched a or they tried to launch a uh put a satellite into orbit which failed. So for some reason I've been really interested in North Korea and what North Korea is up to and kind of the, the internment camps that they have going on over there and just all the politic, the the politics around North Korea and all that stuff. So, if anybody has any recommendations on books to listen to or read on that, please let me know because I'm I'm a geek in that way. <laughs> <laughs> hey, every now and then I go on these tangents. I love it. All right. Um, so, if you listeners again, if you're getting back on track, if you want to get a free audio book of your choice, just head over to audiblepodcast.com/twip. Once again, that is audiblepodcast.com forward slash T-W-I-P. All right, first story. This one is pretty interesting. And, Nicole, I know you have this particular piece of hardware, so this is going to be interesting to talk to you to get your perspective on it. Canon has confirmed that there is a light leak issue with the 5D Mark III, this, this camera that we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks that is in many ways the holy grail for some people of Canon cameras, and for other people it's too expensive and yada, yada, yada. But a few weeks ago they announced it, but since then there have been reports and video surfacing saying that there's this light leak that could affect the exposure readings from the built-in meter. But it only happens happens under certain conditions, though, right? So go ahead, Ron. What are you going to say? I was just going to say I really hate it when all the light leaks out of my camera. Makes a mess. (laughs) Just can't, all over the can't floor. keep it in there. Like, it just yep. won't hold it. So, Nicole, let me throw it to you first. You you have this camera, so you're the mm-hmm. authority clearly on this, um, and you've <laughs> read up on this. Is this is this affecting you, or is, there, is this a edge case that if you have the camera and you you're in a completely dark room and you have the LCD set to bright, then you might see artifacts? Is it that that level? Well, I do. I will say I, it. It does happen. I actually have my camera here for those in a hangout, and I, obviously it's not going to follow through with the uh, with the um, uh, podcast part. But when this part of the top part of the LCD is where it's affecting, and when you turn on the the light part, it changes. I don't know if you know if my settings are 
set correctly right now, but it changes your exposure. So it's basically leaking in to touch the meter. And I am seeing it in my camera. Whether or not it actually affects the meter in real-time shooting you know, scenario is yet to be seen, as, as far for me at least. Uh, I've only used the camera in manual mode so far, so anything I do is you know, completely controlled fixed. by me. So it doesn't really even matter. Uh, the only, and also if, if you're going to be shooting in at night in dark situations, my guess is you're probably, and you're, you're either not going to be using, you know, you're not, not going to be pushing that button on the top. So mm -hmm. it's not going to matter because it's so dark that it's not even going to affect it. Or you're going to be on a tripod shooting in manual mode. Anyways, if you're doing long exposures, lightning photography, whatever, you know, fill in the blank, studio photography, it's probably not going to affect it because it doesn't affect the sensor. There's no, it's not like leaking in to touch the sensor. It's light leaking into the meter, which then alters the exposure and you'll get an underexposed photo if it actually does affect the overall exposure. Okay, got it. It's affecting, it's affecting metering specifically, yes. but not, it's not, li it's not like a light leak on a film camera where, yeah, where you like fog that. the film, right? right. Yeah, so, and so you're, it's really, it, to me so far it's inconsequential. It doesn't even matter that it's there. If, if it does affect anything, even by a stop or two, I'm not seeing it. The only real life scenario I could see that it possibly might actually affect something is if you are photographing, let's say you're doing a portrait with somebody standing in the shade, Maybe you're bringing in a little bit of fill light, and then you are standing out in the sunshine. So you're metering a person in the shade, and you're standing in the sun, and then the light, you know, sunshine is actually hitting the top LCD panel. Yeah, that's the only real life situation that I can actually see it affecting, as far as like what I would, the kind of stuff that I would shoot. So this so, sounds like this sounds like it's a this is physical hardware. This is a hardware mm -hmm. issue. It's not something they can like, okay, here's a patch to fix it. So yeah. what, what can Canon do? Just recall all these cameras for the photo? Cause it's an issue, I right? I mean, it's, it is an issue. I, well, it's, it's one of those things. It's like it, yes, it's, it's an issue with finger quotes, Yeah. but whether it, if it, if it doesn't affect the results of my images, then it's not an issue. Yeah. So to me, it'll t time will tell, you know, if they say, Hey, you can send it in and we can fix it for you. I might, actually do some tests with it to see if I'm like, am I okay with not having my camera for however many weeks it takes right. them no. to send me a new one? Because I don't want to be without my camera. The type of stuff I'm shooting, it's probably not going to matter anyways. And even if I'm in a situation where it does affect it, what's it going to be like one stop, maybe two stops yeah. I can, and it's, it's underexposing it. So it, it makes me think it's faster. So then, I, so it's not like I'm going to get in a situation where I'm like, Oh, my lens isn't fast enough, so I can't use this. You yeah. know, I'll be like, oh, so wait, it's, it's an edge case. It's kind of like yeah. it's kind of like uh, Toyota recalling the Prius because hey, if you drive this on the Fourth of July into a forest <laughs> fire, you know, while you're listening to so and so on the radio, you might explode. Right? Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> it kind of feels like that. <laughs> people aren't typically going to do that, you know. Yeah. But you can send the you can send the car in, and we'll fix it. We'll have to hold it for a month or so, <laughs> so you'll be without a car. But we'll take care of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it looks like from from what I'm hearing, Nicole, it looks like it's an issue of it's an inconsequential kind of thing right now. Canon so, issued a yeah, press release. From my experience. It's yeah, from your experience. Yeah. So, so Canon issued be... a press release to address it. So they're like, oh, hey, we know that this is going on. So they're doing mm -hmm. the right thing. And probably they're changing manufacturing, assuming, you know, they're going to mm -hmm. change manufacturing to address it in future models of the Mark III. But the folks yeah. that have it right now are, you know, it's probably not going to affect you that much. So don't don't lose sleep over not getting images or something, right? 
What about you, Ron? I mean, what, if I know you don't, you don't have this particular camera body, right? So yeah, it, it just, I mean, like Nicole said, it doesn't sound. I don't know. You know, everything's got a compromise, and so probably just one more little minor thing you might want to factor in. But you know, wait and see. Certainly, it seems like at this point you can easily shoot around it. It can't be that much of a change in your metering, and and especially you know the way I think most people shoot, I can't really imagine it's going to have a material effect on. I don't use that top thing very often anyway. And and plus, doesn't the doesn't that light shut off as soon as you uh, click the shutter, so I would think that it may not even meet, you know, change the metering. So well, yeah, you know, that's another good question. I haven't even I've even tested to see like if I turn the light on, but then I go to actually press the shutter or activate the meter, then mm-hmm. is it going to just change back to what it should be? <laughs> so, yeah. but but then again, if you're like I said, if you're in sunlight, if you're in direct sunlight, and then that's right. shining through because it's not realistic that you're going to shoot with the, you know, I rarely use that thing on the top of my camera. Right. Yeah, so right. if I'm gonna, if I want to see it, I'm going to be looking through the live view or, you know, I'm going to click the info button on the back and look at it on the LCD in the back. Yeah. So I guess do you guys put, do you guys put the little uh, cap over your, uh, your viewfinder whenever you're shooting on a tripod outdoors? Long exposure stuff? Yeah. Or even yeah. not long exposure. Are but, you I mean, talking about the, are you talking about like right on the, the viewfinder? Yeah, the viewfinder there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. I do. Yeah. You know, cause I mean, you, you can have a similar situation there. I've burned myself a few times where I forget mm-hmm. to cover that up whenever I'm adjusting my metering and everything. Cause the light will come in through that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, and this what he's talking about is if um, it's like just like a little black covering that covers the viewfinder. So I think Nikon cameras have them inside the actual viewfinder. Some of them some do, Nikon and some of do. some of them have them. Some of them come with a little switch that you can flick it down yeah. to to block out light. But some of them actually come with a little cap that you can slide over it to to shut right. the yeah. light out from. And that's what Canon but, has. Is the well, Canon has like you have to use the one that was attached, and people probably don't even a lot of people probably don't realize this. The uh, camera strap that comes that ships with your camera comes with a little pl- black piece on your camera strap that you pull that you pull apart and you take out, and that's what you actually put on the back of your Canon on the hmm. LCD on the viewfinder to actually cover and block the light. If you're doing, long, I've been doing a lot of long exposure stuff, you know, like a few minutes in mm-hmm. sun in bright light, so you can get leak through the back, you know the. Um, just kind of goes down through the prism or whatever, so you have to block it off. But I don't even know what the alternative for Canon users if you don't have that. Like if I lose that little rubber piece that you get on the back of your, um, that you get on your camera strap. Yeah, some black is, tape. Put some black tape. I guess some gaffer tape or something. Gaffer tape. Put your hand on there or something just to hide that's it. That's what I was gonna say. It's this little piece of black tape that you have duct tape flap. Oh, that's so smart. <laughs> oh, look at that. That's what I did. So Ron Brinkman, MacGyver DIY. Yeah. Uh-huh. So for those listening, Ron was showing his camera, holding up his camera with a piece of black duct, duct tape to the top. What did you put it on the top of the viewfinder so that you could sort of hinge yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, it's just a little piece of gaffer's tape that's just right on the little top part there. Looks yeah. up and down. Yep. But, you know, and that's because I was shooting the same thing that Nicole was saying. I was shooting some long exposure stuff, and you will get light coming in through that viewfinder. That, uh, and and I've done it a few times over the course of my life where I'll shoot something, and I'll just be going nuts trying to figure out why when I'm looking through the lens and I set something is properly exposed, and then I back off and use a remote trigger, why the exposure is different than what I was thinking it was going to be. Yeah. Until I realized that, you know, my eye was blocking the, uh, the, the portal originally. So Yeah. So, Nicole, bottom line is if you are planning to buy a 5D Mark III or you already have one, don't fret. You're still good. Get the thing and and press on, correct? That's what I say. You yeah. know, it's And I think, like I said, time will tell whether or not it's actually a real-life issue. Yeah, cool. Good so. advice. 
All right. Story number two is also about Canon. Uh, NAB is is taking place this week in Las Vegas, and Canon announced two new video DSLRs to join their previously announced C300 in the high-end SLR video lineup. Now, this is the Canon 1DC, and it, it... it's a 4K video DSLR, and it, it comes in at uh, around $15,000. Now, what we were talking about before we, uh, we started recording this thing is I don't think either of uh, any of us on the show are in the market for this camera or shooting high-end video. Nicole may be one day when iStock starts accepting 4K video or something, but we're not really in that space for 4K video. But that said, so I, want, I wanted to address this and say, hey, A, congratulations for Canon for jumping into the space because 15K in the video space is cheap, right, Ron? That's a... That's cheap for a camera of this caliber, right? Well, there's certainly been a, a downward drive uh, for all of this kind of video stuff that's really more at the pro level. And, yeah, I mean, even a few years ago, you'd be talking significantly more for that. So Canon's pushing down. You know, the red cameras were, were a pressure going downwards. There's, I mean, there's pressure coming from both directions because you can do so much with these, you, just your average uh, DSLR as well, and, and even some of the you know electronic viewfinder cameras coming upwards. So... Is this huge spectrum where it used to be, you know, if you were shooting film or shooting pro-level stuff, you were in the $75,000 to several hundred thousand dollars for a camera and, and, and again, almost that much for some of the lenses. Jeez. So, and you need more but, than one camera too, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's, it's interesting. I mean, the thing that they're doing here that's, I mean, 4K is obviously an issue. For some of the, they, they have a, the C500 was also announced It's the more, traditional kind of a, a video camera mm-hmm. uh they're claiming i think that one can output raw uh but you know 4k is not at this point 4k is it's more of a mastering format i guess i'd call it rather than something that you know there are very few 4k display devices out there some theaters have 4k projectors but you know most of us in our homes don't even have a monitor that can do that so yeah i thought i just bought you know the the batman level tv from samsung and it's not 4k so yeah. i'm already i just added less than six months and i already feel behind now so <laughs> so should should i be like starting to shop around for 4k tvs ron or is this I- I suspect that you will start to see people offering. I mean, you know, the TV industry has every incentive to keep providing the next great thing, right? But how much sharper can you get? I mean, I thought my my TV it's, is like crazy a, sharp already. Well, I mean, it's, it's a it's a size to resolution issue, right? Uh, so if you've got a, a forty two inch and you know HD resolution and you're looking at it from fifteen feet away, then there's no point in increasing your resolution. If yeah. you've got you know one of these eighty five inch TVs or a massive projector that's you know, throwing up, uh, you know, a hundred inches or something on a wall, then you may start to see that kind of a difference. So, and certainly in the theater where you've got a 30 foot screen or more, right, right. then, then yeah, it's going to be, uh, it's, it can be necessary, although it's still kind of hard to see, but I think for the most part, it's more, it's more of a mastering thing. And that's in the sense that just like with stills, you know, if you've got a lot of resolution, you have a lot of flexibility to do things. You mm-hmm. can crop in, and still have perfectly sharp images, and then you can sort of change your framing after the fact. Right, right. And that's kind of the same thing you you want with with video as well. You know, we would shoot for visual effects stuff. We'd shoot, um, you know, what we call VistaVision. It's a different film format that uses a much larger, like twice the size of the negative, for capturing stuff. And it wasn't because it was ever going to be projected to that. It was because it would have, back in the days of film, it would have a much tighter grain pattern because you were using a lot more of the 
of a piece of film and you could push in and you could do all kinds of stuff like that. So I think that's more where this is, is useful. So is, is, is this targeted at the, I mean, clearly it's not the wedding shooter or anybody like that, right? This is targeted yeah. at Hollywood and the Sundance film festival folks, right? Yeah, I think so for the most part. Yeah. You know, and I mean, video production in general, I mean, yeah, it's, I, I do feel like there's going to be, even web content that's going to serve this up. I mean, who knows? You know, maybe Apple or somebody is going to decide that their TV should be. I mean, that's a marketing coup if you suddenly came out with a TV that was greater than HD at this point. Right. Somebody's going to do it. It's probably not going to be 4K, but it may be 2K or something. Yeah. And uh, you know, then there'll be a race for content on that. So it's crazy. It's crazy. So are you uh, are you going to pick one of these up, Ron? <laughs> no. I got a loan yeah. for one, you know. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Nicole. You know you want one. You got you got money left over after that Mark III, right? Come on. <laughs> rent. Right. Everything should be rental these days. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you I go. really do. I think. I mean, I think you you have to be shooting pretty regularly on a given camera to consider buying it versus renting it. I mean, I think every you know, obviously, everybody listening to the show is going to have a primary camera at home. But for some of the high-end stuff, there may be situations where you want it, but just you know, rent it. And for the most part, just have your primary camera. Yeah. All right. I agree. All right. Well, uh, you know, I'll keep an eye on it. If anybody in the, the This Week in Photo listening audience gets their hands on one of these, let me know. I would love to chat with you about, um, about the magic behind the 1DC and the C500 if you get one. Even if you rent one, let me know. All right, here's uh, the, the feature discussion that I wanted to chat about on this episode is model releases. Now, Nicole, I'm going to throw this over to you uh, because we, got a, we had a, some feedback from one of our listeners that mentioned you specifically in his email. <laughs> so you want to take this one away and just sort of, sure. sort of guide this discussion? Yeah, I mean, do you want me to read the... Yeah, go um, for it, yeah. All right, so... Listener Steve Shepard wrote in and asked us to clear up some confusing confusion regarding model releases. He said, I was listening to one of the most recent TWIPs and was surprised at all the misinformation the guest was giving with regard to model releases. And I'm actually not sure which one he's talking about. Maybe Frederick knows. Uh, and then it says, I have noticed that you often seem to edge on the question regarding when a release is re required. Mm -hmm. Just because one sells an image does not mean a release is required. A, a release is only need needed if the image will be used to promote something or imply an affiliation. Um, and then he, he shared a good resource and then he asked, like, I think he asked me to actually yeah. talk about it. Yep. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to now just as a, a disclaimer, I'm, I'm just a photographer. So anything I'm saying is from an experience as a photographer who photographs a lot of people and I, you, you acquire a lot of model releases. I yeah. photograph a lot of stock with Nicole iStock. Nicole is photo. not a lawyer and she doesn't yeah, claim not to a be. lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't sue me or get me into court if you do something that I say and it's wrong. Right. But um, the way it works is if you are photographing someone and the photo, their likeness, their photo is going to be, it can be used, has the potential to be used, will be used, whatever. And it's going to be used commercially meaning it's in an advertisement. So, you know, so think of any advertisement that's promoting something, whether it's a political advertisement or a, um, I don't only say that because it's an election year here in the U.S., uh, or, you know, Nike or Coke or anything, yeah. a small advertisement on a banner on a website. If, it's, if their likeness is somehow being associated with any type of advertisement, whatever they're advertising, then you need a moderate release. Uh, that's um, and that's on the photographer to have that release. As far as stock photography is concerned, I have to make sure that I have releases for all of my models because I don't know exactly how the photos are going to be used. There are obviously some limitations that can't be used to imply any type of 
disease or something like that, you know, which is a good example or in any kind of porno pornographic way. Right. Um, but uh, for the most part, a photo could be used as art. If they license my photo, it could be used as an advertisement. So I have to have model releases for all of the people that I photograph that go on to iStock Photo. Now, if you're photographing journalistic photography, editorial work, you don't need a release. If it's going to be used on an editorial blog post or in a newspaper, uh, then it does not need a release. If you're going to photograph someone and print it and sell it as artwork, you do not need a release. Hmm. So that's, that is kind of the general idea of how, when you need a release. So you can walk around the streets and take pictures of any single person you want, assuming that they're in the public and they don't have an expectation of privacy, meaning you can't walk up to someone's house and take a picture of them in, through their window and sitting in their living room or something. Yeah. That's, you know, or, or photographing someone that's like in an ambulance, I think is, in, you know, even as a journalistic way, that's another, as from my understanding, I'm not a journalist, so I don't really know all of the rules, but you have to, you know, if they're in public somewhere, you can photograph them and print it, sell it as art, hang it on your wall, however, whatever your version of art is, that's, you know, it, that's... But uh, the expectation of privacy that you're referring to is you're not going to be the paparazzi hanging over Beyonce's fence with a, mm -hmm. with a, with a zoom lens, getting pictures of her in her house. She expects to be private, right? So that's mm -hmm. not something that you could do. But if she's yes. walking around on Santa Monica Boulevard and you happen to be there with your camera and you snap a picture, it's all yours, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. You can, yeah, you can sell it to news agents, agencies that are going to use it as news-related source. Uh, but if it's going to be used in an advertisement, you'd need to get a model release from Beyonce. Yeah. <laughs> so she has to, they have to approve the use of their likeness with any type of advertisement. Right. So does is, did, if any, do you think there's anything I missed there, Fred? No, no. So how does that work in terms of if so the, an edge case or or here's a here's a use case? I'm traveling abroad. And I'm mm -hmm. um, like Steve Simon, for example, Steve goes to Africa, takes pictures, goes on these, you know, excursions and and takes pictures of the folks there. How does that work if I'm there and I'm taking pictures of people in a foreign area um, and I'm I'm there under the auspices of doing photojournalism. However, I get home, I bring the images in the Lightroom and I, fig I figure out I have one of the images looks like it could be art and I want to sell it as art. Now what? Mm -hmm. Now what? That's art. You don't need a release. So I don't need it's a art. release for those. Mm -hmm. I don't need a release. Do I need a release for the, the journalistic images? Nope. So I'm, I'm clear. So when would I need a release in that? If For all those photos that I'm walking around, when would mm -hmm. I need a release? Because I, you, I you thought need... if I'm selling the image, then the person whose likeness appears in the image that I'm selling, that I would need to get a release to cover myself. Because that person could come back later and say, hey, you know, you made a million dollars on this image of me give me my cut you know how do you it's, how do you manage it's art it? if it's it's art so if it's art i mean a person can still get angry you know yeah. they can still get upset they can still sue you whether or not they win is another story mm -hmm. but you it's it's okay to sell photos as art if it's just if it's just art you know okay. if you wanted to take those photos like you know i went to vietnam i have a bunch of photos of people i didn't get any releases i don't plan on using them as commercial stock i probably will use some as editorial stock photography because mm -hmm. they'll be used like journalistic photos or you know just however people use them and they won't be used commercially uh but i have some that are have people in them and i think they're beautiful photos i will probably print them or sell them as prints because uh, for art yeah. so it's there that's as far as i know 
in my I'm not a lawyer sense that's a legal thing to do so you don't have to worry about getting releases unless you know that it's going to be used commercially or like you know or you're like me and you're shooting stock or you're hired to photograph something you have to make sure that the person you're photographing understands the terms and what they're signing and how it's going to be used. So. And in the in the blog post for this for this episode, we'll you, you have a link here in the show notes to, to a model release primer on danheller.com, right? So I don't I didn't that's from the um that's from Steve. Okay. Okay, cool. So I, so we'll we'll link but over yeah, to we'll that. Yeah, we'll post anyway. that up. Yeah. Okay. So Ron, what about you? So use case you're you travel around a lot. You're always gone taking photos, but you don't gen- you're not generally selling your images. They're just for they're like your images to record the journey, right? So you don't are you yeah, concerned with I mean, model I, releases? No, cuz I mean I play it safe and I know I don't, you know, I I don't make a living off of photography in any way really and so it's uh everything I do is kind of for myself. Now, you know, conceivably there'd be a situation where you put a photo up and it has a person in it and somebody wants to buy it for commercial purposes and you know at that point you pretty much have to say no or i guess conceivably go try and track down the person that was in the photo but yeah i think for most people you know most people kind of know what they're going to be doing with images for the most part and, and can kind of decide way ahead of time whether it's a situation where they're going to need a model release or not so i think you know bottom line is that it's that you know the responsibility for proving that there is a model releases with the publisher of the image, not with the photographer. Right. Uh, and, and so, you know, it seems like most of the time, I mean, unless you're selling to a stock photo agency that requires it, most of the time the publisher is going to have to come back to you and say, do you have a model release? And it's up to them to kind of make sure that the, you know, depending on the use, if it's needed, that it's been taken care of. So I don't worry about it too much at all. So Nicole, Nicole, use case. So looking back in history, remember that, uh, remember the, the image of Monica Lewinsky in the crowd, uh, mm-hmm. like making eye contact with Bill Clinton, you know, right. right before the whole controversy, all that stuff. So right. the photographer that got that image, Bill Clinton's in a public place. Monica Lewinsky's in a public place. I'm sure he made a couple of pennies on that image. Did was he in that situation required to have a model release or no? Right. Well, that's, how was the, the question? The question. Whenever you ask a question like that, you always have to ask a counter question. How was the photo used? Right. Right. Okay. So, so let's know. say there's. Let's say he used it in two ways. Uh, on side number. In in way number one, he created a piece of art. He created a a big poster and sort of painted on it in Photoshop and made. Some interpret <laughs> some, some interpretation <laughs> of presidential antics, right? So that he did that one, right? And then on uh-huh. the other side, he sold it to the New York Times. So, well, the New York Times is probably going to use it as uh, for a news story, right? Right. So then that's fine. And art, like we said, is fine. So he's good. So in what case would he have needed to get a model release for that then? Um, if he wanted to sell it to a cigar company or something. Okay. <laughs> if it was endorsing a product. In the- yeah, exactly. Nice. <laughs> cigar company. Oh, my God. Good, good call, man. Nicole. That's- oh, good call Nicole, back. Nicole, Nicole, Nicole. <laughs> yeah. how, how many of our younger listeners have no idea what that one's about? <laughs> That's good. That's, That's good. Because awesome. I did not click the 18 and over box go, on this hangout. Uh, Go, go Google that one, people. Go Google it, yeah. <laughs> Very nice. cool. All right. Thank you, Nicole. You've uh, you yep. cleared that up. Well, that was a good discussion. I, I want to thank uh, listener Steve Shepard for writing in and asking us about and asking us to clear up that confusion on model releases. I hope that helped. And thanks, Nicole, for coming on to uh, to help us get our brains around that stuff. It's really interesting. I mean, it seems less complicated than I thought now that you, uh, you kind of demystified it a little bit for us. So thank you for that. 
Glad to help. All right. Uh, before we go on to the next story, I want to take a second to remind listeners about our Facebook. And of course, if you're listening to us or watching us on Google Plus, we have clearly a Google Plus page. Um, you can join in the conversation. You can submit your questions, comments, and more on thisweekinphoto.com. On Facebook, you can check us out at facebook.com slash thisweekinphotography. Um, and on Google Plus, you can just search for This Week in Photo. You'll find us or follow me, Frederick Van, or any one of our hosts like Nicole or Ron, and you'll be connected to us. So please do that and support the show that way. All right. Story number three I want to run through real quick is um, about Google Plus. So our friends over at Kelby Media, Scott Kelby, whom I know you know, Nicole, um, and the folks at Google are organizing a conference for photographers coming up in May, on May 22nd, May 23rd, at the Yorba Buena Center for the Arts in San Francisco. So this looks to be pretty cool. You know, I mean, it looks like the first of its kind. It looks like, from my perspective, like Scott and team, he has an engine behind creating Photoshop world, and he knows how to throw a conference. He knows how to organize it by the numbers. So they're taking that horsepower and putting it behind this trend of photographers migrating over to Google+. And there's some who, who's speaking there. Nicole Scott Kelby's going to oh, be there. Trey, yes, yeah, Scott Kelby, Trey Ratcliffe, uh, Jeremy Coward, Guy Kawasaki, Catherine Hall, Brian Rose, RC Concepts. I mean, it, it's a lot of people. You know, Brian Matias, Eric Belin, Lindsay Adler. It's a really good. Uh, you know, a lot a lot of the people you probably have seen uh, or heard of being associated with Kelby Media as far as being at Photoshop World. Yeah. Um, and the other half are people who are very well known on Google Plus. Yeah, yeah, I definitely check it out. So, you are you planning on going to that, Nicole? I'm going to be there. Yeah, I registered. I'm signed up and ready to go. I'm excited for it. I, you know, I, I kind of see conferences. A lot of conferences for me is actually just kind of meeting and doing that actual in person interaction with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, and on top of that, there's some really good. Um, it's photography based, so it's not just Google Plus. Yeah. But there's going to be online portfolio or uh, on sorry online one on one portfolio reviews and. Uh, you know, tips on how to post on Google Plus and um, doing Hangouts and things like that. So yeah, it hopefully looks they like can they can teach me how to create a Hangout and not invite the entire world to it. <laughs> did, you, did you do that last time? I did that last time. That's awesome. <laughs> but like you know, interesting the, episode. The, you know, <laughs> the, the Google Plus and Twip audience are they're so nice. Nobody nobody jumped into the Hangout. They didn't. They watched, <laughs> but they didn't join. I love that. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, that's cool. Well, Ron, what about you? You 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 see this? You're you're kind of on the periphery of Google Plus. You're not like posting every day like a lot of photographers are. Are you? Uh, is this something that's that, that you'd be considering? <laughs> Well, it's cool. I mean, if I was local, you know, you guys up in San Francisco have all the cool new new media stuff going on. Hey, this is so, the, this is the center of the tech universe, man. Come on. I know it is. Yeah, it sounds great. I mean, it sounds cool. It's just sort of you know, and for t- photographers, I think it's an excellent sort of networking opportunity and the ways to learn how to use the tools and expand it. So I think it's great. I would like to go, but don't think I'll make it. You're not gonna make it. All right, probably um, not. Well, follow everybody on Google Plus and you'll at least get an idea of what's, what's going on. All right, cool. Well, check it out. Um, the conference, like I was saying, is May 22nd and 23rd in San Francisco. Registration is 300 bucks or 299 bucks before April 30th um, and is $349 after the 30th. So if you're thinking about going, you know, sign up now and save yourself 50 bucks. So. And yeah, I think I'm going to go. I think it's uh, it's in my backyard, so I feel like I have to go. All right. Uh, 
right now I'm going to insert an interview. So I had a, a chance to sit down with Reed Warner. He's a guy that I had on the show before from, I think about a year ago, from snapknot.com. Um, they're a, uh, a bridal registry or a, where, where uh, photographers can go to register themselves and brides can go to search and find photographers in their area, that sort of thing. So they launched the company and we talked about them when they launched. But he's, a, he's an excellent resource for talking about just the state of the wedding photography industry, who's charging what and why and what prices are, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. So we talked about all that in this interview. If you're in any way interested in wedding photography, as a business, you should listen to this because he gives some really interesting insight on how using social networking sites to you know to to drive business to your to you know to your profile on their service and you know the big thing for me is like how do you how do you price yourself if you're starting in wedding photography how do you price yourself so give this thing a listen this is Reed Warner from Snapknot.com. Come here with Reed Warner. He's the co-founder of a company called Snapknot. That's Snap K N O T. They're a wedding photography directory, or you know, and I, I like to say they're one of the best, if not the best, wedding photography directories on the web. So, what's a wedding photography directory? It's a place where it's basically the the union where photographers can get connected to brides in their local areas, and brides can go to get connected to photographers. So you're not asking your friends like, "Who did you shoot, use to shoot your wedding?" and all that kind of stuff. You can just go online and do an intelligent search and see these people's portfolios all sort of categorized by geography and price and all that magic. So they just make it really easy for both sides, you know, for the photographer to get the clients and for the brides that are looking for those price point photographers to find them. So Reed was on This Week in Photo a while back um, when the company, I think it was around when the company was just getting started. And now they have taken off and are doing really well. And Reed agreed to come back on the show to give me an update on where Snapknot is uh, in terms of meeting their goals, and also a glimpse into what's next for the company. So welcome to This Week in Photo, Reed. Thanks so much, Frederick. Really glad to be here. Appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for coming on. So last time we talked, and did I did I describe the company correctly, that you were kind of that, that union between the bride and the photographer? Exactly. That was perfect. Cool. So, all right. So why don't you just give us, you know, quickly, like the two-sentence sentence elevator pitch of what you see Snapknot is and, and where it's going. Well, I think you did a good job. It's definitely the basically the focal point of where where brides and wedding photographers come together. Um, what we've tried to do, which is different than some of the other solutions out there, is really be just that one focus. So we don't have other um, types of vendors on our on our site, and and we've really built the site specifically with photographers and brides in mind, without any other types of distractions. So. That's where we started, and and where we're where we're going with that is is um, finding ways to make the service um, easier to use for wedding photographers, and in the end result, make it also more effective and useful for brides as well. That's very cool, very cool. So, I mean, I know we got a, a bunch of things that we wanted to chat about. So, as far as just traffic and overall performance of the site, I know you started this the company kind of at. The you know some would say it's the best time to start a company in the in a recession you know and others would say that um, hey what are you doing you know <laughs> so so how's it been I mean how's it how's it been navigating the waters of of this particular industry where people don't have a whole lot of money that's a good question it's been an interesting journey we're basically two years old actually I think our 
official anniversary was yesterday or the day before. So you oh, got us at a, at a good time. Thank you. Um, so your but, anniversary is Valentine's Day? <laughs> <laughs> it's Valentine's Day or the day after, somewhere right around there. So Very the timing good. was not intentional, but uh, an interesting um, connection there. Yep. Uh, but it's been interesting. We, we've, we've grown um, really rapidly. We have uh, well over 3,500 wedding photographers on the site right now. Um, and traffic has steadily grown over the course of two years as well. And that's been a result of a lot of different things. Uh, we have a pretty heavy focus on uh, social media, so Facebook and Twitter and and Pinterest, which we could talk about um, if you'd like, which is one of the, the new social media crazes right now. Yeah, um, I really want to talk about them, yeah. Exactly. We can definitely chat about that. Um, and, and just overall awareness as, as brides and wedding blogs and all the different um, players in the industry become aware of, of what we're doing and how we're doing it. Um, the response has been really positive, which just over time has helped um, snowball our traffic uh, and exposure and things like that. So we've been really pleased with um, how that's been growing in general. Wow. And some, some specific industry partnerships um, within the photography side of things um, have been really great for us as well. That's great. Congratulations. So 3,500 3, photographers on the site right now. Are, are all those paid are all those photographers like subscribing to snapnut they're not all currently paid um actually the last time we talked so this is one of the big changes um from the first time i was on the show we originally had a freemium model so there was there was a a tier where users could be on the site um, and, and pay nothing um, but because of the way we've grown and some of the features that we've brought on board since that time, we're, we're no longer a um, free service. All of the people who were free at that time were grandfathered in, so they, they continue to enjoy our, our lowest level tier um, without having to pay. Um, but right now, anybody who, who chooses to come onto the site as a new member um, would have to do so as a, as a paying member. Um, but we've, re- we've remained true to our goal of, of being cost-effective, and um, uh, we don't lock people into long-term contracts. So everything is month to month and our lowest tier is only 195 a month. So it's also not, not too, uh, too burdensome for yeah. photographers. So, yeah, so the, in this, this focus obviously is for people that are making money with photography. So that, that monthly fee is low if you're booking like say two weddings at least, or even one wedding from the site, right? Exactly. I mean, even our top level tier, which is our diamond listing, is uh, $49.95 a month. So even if, let's say you book um, even one or two weddings over the course of a year, you're paying five or $600 to be on the site, um, which hopefully even with, with one booking is a, is a positive return on your investment. Um, if you're down at the lowest level tier, which is um, $2 a month, basically, uh, our, our hope is you could actually be on the site for several years. And even if you only get one or two bookings, even over that long period of time, you're still going to, you know, have a, have a pretty good return on whatever money you had to put forth to, to be on the site. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So before I want to, I want to chat about where, where you're going with this, but I want to just quickly take me through like from two perspectives. So say I'm a, I'm a photographer. I just, I, I'm just getting the weddings. I don't know how to get clients and I hear this interview. So what, and then I come to snapknot.com. Now what? Now what, what do I do? The best thing to do would be to click at the top in the header. There's a big blue button that says photographer start here. Mm-hmm. So the best thing to do would be to click on that and read some of the information uh, that comes up on the next page. And then towards the top of that page, there's also a link that says features and sign up. 
So that would be the main page where a photographer would want to go to get information about our different tiers, the um, basic gold, platinum, and diamond. And on that page, it's all outlined, the different features that are associated with um, each subscription type. And from there, there's um, sign-up buttons, and it takes only about uh, 30 seconds to sign up. Um, as soon as a photographer signs up, they receive an email to confirm their account. And then from there, um, they have a user dashboard, which they can log into at any point in time, 24 hours a day, um, to build their profile, upload their images, create photos, uh, videos, whatever they need to do to actually publish their profile. So it's it's really easy to get started, you know, even if you're not ready to necessarily um, publish your profile right away, uh, you can come back to it at any point in time and, and make the updates and publish the profile. Um, Very cool. When, when so one, one other question on that. So if if I come in there and say I'm in, the, I'm in the Bay Area, the San Francisco Bay Area, and, you know, I put in my information, I got my camera, you know, I got my site up, I'm ready to go, I just need some clients, I come to your site, how long, generally speaking, and assuming that I'm a competent photographer and I have a decent portfolio up, um, how long generally speaking, does it take before I start getting bites, you know, and people are saying, Hey, you know, I want to talk to you about shooting my wedding. Sure. It, it really depends on a lot of different factors. Um, I mean, one factor of course is just the type of subscription, um, that you might choose. A basic listing is going to get a lot less action than a diamond listing just because of the different features that are on board, um, with those, um, different types of plans. But we see people coming on and, Almost right away, they're getting certainly profile views. Um, Diamond members can see the number of profile views they get um, on an ongoing basis. Um, so that's easily tracked for them. They can they can get those metrics. But those happen right away. Um, in terms of inquiries, uh, it really varies based on the specific geographic location, uh, the quality of your work, the time of year plays a factor. Right now, we're in sort of the heavy booking time for, for brides, so we see a lot more coming through right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it really depends on the photos that you've chosen, how you position yourself. Also, um, we do a lot for our Diamond members in terms of social media exposure, so we'll promote you on Facebook and Twitter, also our blog. So what we see is that the photographers who are the most invested in those sorts of processes as well. So not just coming to snap, not creating a static listing and then, and then going away. A lot of people do that and that's fine. And they, and they're successful doing that. But the people who take advantage of all those other features and, and getting promotion, not just from the static listings, see um, more sustained results and, and results quicker as well. So that's why we offer them because we see that that's pretty valuable. And, most of the other um, websites out there are also not doing that sort of intense marketing for their members. Very cool. Okay, so then from just quickly from the from the other perspective, um, a bride comes to the site, and I see on the top of the site they can they can determine a budget range and they can determine the geographic radius around a city. Is that basically it? So I go in there, I say, okay, I want to, I can pay from $2,500 to $7,500 and I need a photographer that's within 25 miles of San Jose, California. Boom. Exactly. We, right now we tried to keep it really simple and streamlined. We felt like those were the, the really, the main criteria that the brides want, at least right off the bat. Um, the other thing being, um, the ability to really get a sense of how a photographer's, the, the, their body of work, um, which is why we created the website to be very photocentric and streamlined. So w- once they narrow down based on location and budget, 
um, the design allows them to really compare things side by side. And then from, from there, they can um, add photographers to their favorites, which is called My Snap Knots, and mm-hmm. it gets saved for them. So then they could distill things down really quickly. And from there, visit the ph- photographer website or contact them for more information, check out their Facebook page, whatever it may be. Um, so as of right now, we don't have other filters on board, such as... Um, you know, type of photographer, whether it's um, photojournalistic or, or some other type of approach that the photographer is taking um, or, or other filters sort of related to that. Very cool. Cool. All right. So then the, the next question is just to, to close off on the company itself, because I want to get into some industry stuff with you, mm-hmm. um, is what's next for a Snapmap? What, what, what can photographers and brides look forward to in terms of evolution of the site? Good question. So one of the things that we've really been focusing on, uh, at least in the last year, are just industry partnerships. So tools and resources and, and companies that, that we believe in and that also photographers are already currently using. So, for example, one of the big um, things that we did was we became fully integrated with SmugMug, um, who we love. So if, if a photographer is already using SmugMug, they can actually pull in all of their photos and images that they already have on SmugMug into their SnapNot profile. So so we're looking to do more things like that where we're working very closely with other companies that, that we believe in and that, that we like that can also help service the photographers who are on our site. Um, in terms of other features, for example, we've um, implemented um, video uploads since the last time we talked. So I think more multimedia, uh, we have some ideas about really how to make that uh, more effective because in contrary to maybe even three or four years ago when wedding photography really was just photography and images, now we're talking about videos and slideshows and music and all this different sorts of multimedia that um, photographers are using and brides are also in a sense demanding. So creating those um, ways for photographers to to communicate that sort of body of work to brides um, is something that we have our eye on uh, as well. And we're also thinking about certain things like user reviews, which obviously are very important um, in, in the digital age now with um, star ratings and getting brides to leave feedback for, for their photographers. So that'll be a really important thing that we're, we're hoping to work on within the next um, several months or so. So cool. things like that. Now, what about the, you mentioned Pinterest before. What, what's up with that? So I, 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 to be honest, I've been looking at Pinterest and been keeping it at, at arm's length away because there's so many <laughs> other, so I think it's like, I just get my brain around Google Plus and now Pinterest is, is coming up and I got to figure this out. Is I know. It, what's, it, what's it about and why should people care? It's crazy. There, you know, every couple months there's a new um, social media tool out there and that, and that's something that we we really heavily focus on. We want to make sure that we're at least trying to keep up with those as much as possible. But Pinterest, it's really interesting. For one thing, um, our demographic, um, I'm not sure if you know, but Pinterest is about 97% female. I do know that, yeah. Yeah. So that's really amazing for people in the wedding photography industry. And because of um, the way it's designed, it's very, uh, there's a very heavy focus on just photos um, and, and weddings and women and all those things come together in a really positive way. Um, so for us, what we've done is created different inspiration boards for brides. For example, you might think of, um, you know, country chic weddings or, um, wedding cakes, wedding dresses, all the different categories of photos that we have on Snapknot who, who are being posted by our photographers. We can pin those images to, 
boards that we've created on Pinterest so that um, people who are following us or using Pinterest as a tool uh, see those photos, they see that they're on SnapKnot, then they, they click on the photo, which brings them to the photographer's profile page who actually shot that photo. So it's a way for our members to get some extra exposure on another social media platform. Um, but even if, um, you know, for any photographer who's shooting weddings, it's pretty easy to create a Pinterest account. Uh, it takes very little time to actually pin images to specific boards. So I would recommend any, any wedding photographer to really try to get started uh, using that platform uh, and seeing what happens for them. It's pretty easy to use and it's, it's, there's millions of users on there right now. So that's cool. That's cool. All right. Uh, let's talk about the industry a little bit, the wedding photography industry. Um, so here, you know, hypothetically, here's a, here's a photographer, like I was saying before, he signed up for your site and is deciding, okay, I want to make some money here. I don't know what to charge. I'm going to go Google other people in my area and find out what they're charging and, and put myself in there. What, what's the average, like, you know, I know you, you can't speak for the world, but just generally speaking, what are, what's the range of weddings from on the low end to the high end that you, that you're seeing today? It does definitely vary um, by geographic location and years of experience, quality of work, all of those things. But, I mean, we have users on our site who uh, they'll say they start at $500. Granted, I don't, I can't speak for the quality of what they're doing or what's included in their packages. And then, of course, we have photographers all the way up to, you know, $25,000, $30,000 per wedding. Um, so it varies. And I think, I think you're right that the best place for a photographer to start especially if they're just right on, you know, getting started is to do some basic research, um, to reach out to some local wedding photographers, perhaps start as a second shooter, see where the various price points are within their market. Um, and not necessarily, not necessarily start low, so to speak, but it, it just really depends on, um, how talented they are, what sorts of images they're producing, what they include in their packages. Um, there, there's a lot of factors that really go into the whole, um, pricing scheme. And, and of course, brides are, um, you know, everybody wants the most for the least, least amount of money. So there's, there's, there's a balance between generating enough business, remaining true to the value of your work, uh, and making sure that brides aren't, you know, trying to take you for a ride in terms of asking for, for, for the world. Um, yeah. For, the bride, for, the bridezillas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it happens. <laughs> everybody, everybody has a budget and everybody wants to spend as little as possible. Um, well, but speaking, I think, speaking of that, speaking of low, spending as little as possible, I think a couple of years ago we were talking about on the show about the deluge of the uncle Joe photographers, you know, people that are running out and buying the entry level DSLR, and instead of hiring a photographer and saying, hey, Uncle Joe, here's a camera. Can you shoot my wedding? Or conversely, even if it's not Uncle Joe, it's just a person that decides, hey, I'm going to undercut everybody. I'm going to go out. I'm just going to shoot the wedding um, the best way I know how. And I'm going to give them the images on a disc and walk away for 500 bucks. Are you are you seeing any of those people on the site and or just in general in the industry? How's that? How is that genre of photography or photographer uh, catching on? There's definitely... Um, that niche of photographers in the industry there'll be there there will always be especially now with the the digital technology and all the resources that are out there um, for people to get started um, you know fairly quickly and easily. I think at the end of the day though it really does come down to the quality of work so some of these people might come into the industry try to do a wedding for five hundred bucks 
realize that a they can't really they can't make money doing it that low uh, no matter what they're how they're doing it even if they're just burning a, a DVD or whatever um, and, and really if they're not creating quality images they don't know the right poses the lighting um, the retouching everything they need to do to create a good product um, they're really not going to be in business for that long. So I think my best advice is, is, is when people ask me is that the photographers, number one, should just focus on the craft, what they love doing, um, learn from all of the industry professionals that are out there who have been doing this for 15, 20, 25, 30 years, whatever it may be, learn the technique, take the time to do that. Um, and those are the people who ultimately will be the most successful. And at the end of the day, um, there are plenty of brides who are willing to to pay the right price for quality work. Yeah, so. you just gotta you just gotta find it's it's a what they call it in marketing a message to market match, right? So you just gotta find the bride at, that has the that wants your level of photography. Right? That's right, exactly. Yeah. And there's always gonna be always gonna be the people that have no money that, that want to pay no money but want the world. That's exactly. not your client, and then there's people that understand that you pay for you get what you pay for. And you want the insurance of having great images from your wedding, so you're going to pay for that, and they're okay right. with that. So. Exactly. And I think for for just like anything else, the photographers who are, um, you know, they're talented and they're willing to put in the time and the energy and the effort to not only create their skills and their craft, but also to learn about how to run a successful business and how to promote themselves and all of those things. It's really those people in the end who are. Um, going to be the most successful and, and really uh, obviously have to pay attention to the people who are coming in and trying to undercut for 500 bucks. But I think long-term is the people who are really focused on, on those key elements that, that will be successful awesome. no matter what. Yeah. All right. So, uh, I know you, you know, you, you let me, t- before we started recording, you let me twist your arm into, uh, offering a discount for the TWIP listeners as I always <laughs> try to do. So thank you for letting me do that. Do you want to explain what you're, what you're going to be able to do for us? Sure. I would love to. So what, what we'd like to do is, as I mentioned earlier, we have, um, several different tiers of listings. We think it's important for your listeners. We'd like to bring them in at the top listing, which is our diamond level. Uh, which gives you all the bells and whistles, social media exposure, unlimited photos, um, video uploads, smug mug integration, lots of different things. Um, so typically that's $50 a month. Um, but what we'd like to do is provide TWIP listeners um, two months of Diamond actually at 80% off. Um, so instead of $100, it will be a total of $20 uh, wow. up front which is uh, a great offer, obviously. And uh, I was mentioning before how we're really into social media. So anybody who signs up for that deal, we would also like to encourage people to share the promotion on Facebook and Twitter. Um, So if they follow us and mention the promo code on any or both of those platforms, make sure to tag us with at SnapKnot. We'll actually give a $10 credit towards your third month. So up to a total of $20 off also for your third month. Um, so the code to use for that is TWIP20, T-W-I-P, and then the number two, the number zero. And we'll run this promo for up to three weeks after uh, this podcast is posted on iTunes. So to summarize, basically two months of Diamond at 80% off, so a total of $20. Uh, And then for each share on Facebook and Twitter, um, a $10 credit um, towards the third month. Very cool. And that's one one share, right? So I can't share it like 15 times and 
<laughs> right. <laughs> one share on each. So one fair, uh, share on Facebook, one share on Twitter. Again, don't, uh, don't forget to tag us with at SnapNot so we can see it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it, that would give up to a total maximum of $20 off towards the third month. And the code, again, is TWIP20, T-W-I-P-2-0. And that'll be – we'll put in the show notes for this post all, everything you just said as well as the, the date range of when this is going to be valid for. Because, you know, like we were saying before we recorded, we are not exactly sure when this show is going to go live. But when you hear it, listener, it's live. So <laughs> so it will, we'll set the dates in the show note post for the show uh, with all the details so you know exactly what it's going to be. I think – thanks for doing that, Reed. I think that's uh, – for especially for the new wedding photographer, even the, exist, the, the established wedding photographers that just want to try the service out – um, and aren't ready to commit to this monthly fee, you can just try it out for very little money, like what, three or four cups of coffee is worth of money <laughs> and get in there and try it and then, you know, start generating money right then. So you're ahead of the game before you even start the game. So Exactly. Awesome. So thanks for doing that. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Happy to do that. All right. So to close up, where, I mean, the, the site's at Snap. Not and that's with a K S N E P K N O T dot com. That's where people can go to to check out the site and sign up for it and all that stuff. But where where else would you like people to go to keep up with you and the company and that sort of thing? Uh, sure, they, people could check us out on Facebook and Twitter. So Facebook dot com slash Snapknot or Twitter dot com slash Snapknot. Um, also Pinterest, as I mentioned earlier. So same same deal. Pinterest dot com slash Snapknot. Those are pretty much the three biggest ones. And we also have a blog, so you could check us out, snapknot.com slash blog, to see what we're up to uh, on there as well. Very cool. All right. Reed, thanks a lot for taking the time today to uh, to chat with me and us and bring us up to speed on the company and the wedding photography industry. I appreciate it. My pleasure. It's always great to be here. All right. That was Reed Warner from snapknot.com. Be sure to check out the sites we mentioned in that interview. Also, if you want to get 80% off a Snapknot diamond listing for two months, they threw out an offer for This Week in Photo listeners only. And this is for new members. Uh, Use the code TWIP20 to save 80% off a new listing. That's TWIP20 to save a full 80% off uh, your snap not diamond diamond listing for two months, which if you're if you're in this business, it's uh, it's a no brainer. We'll put all the details for this offer in the show notes for this episode, but uh, be sure to check that out. All right, here's the one of my favorite parts of the show. This is listener Q and A. This is a segment where our guests, that's you two, uh, answer questions that have come in via our Facebook group, Twitter, Google Plus page, etc., email, etc., etc. So let's uh, take question number one. Ron, I'm going to throw it to you. You want to take this one? Sure. Uh, listener Esteban Valverde is going to his honeymoon. Is looking for a suggestion on a high-quality, lightweight camera. He has a D90 with a 24-millimeter f2.8, but wants something smaller and lighter for his trip. He knows a lot of the co-hosts like the Micro Four Thirds, rangefinders like the X100. He's hoping to get recommendation. He says a fixed wide angle is what he's looking for. Um, what he doesn't say is sort of what his price range is because, man, these days the, the range in prices is kind of crazy totally. for what some of these smaller things are doing. I mean, I do like the Micro Four Thirds, but um, but I don't own one yet, and I'm still kind of watching how all this evolves. I like it because it has a wide range of lens options. Uh, but, you know, if he, he's kind of talking like he just wants a fixed wide angle. and which Which is the one that actually has the fixed? I don't think it's that wide, though. 
Um, I mean, it, it sort of sounds like he's looking to buy something that's an interchangeable lens system, but just buying a wide one and purchasing it. And there certainly are, you know, good Micro Four Thirds. The new Olympus, I can't remember the model number, that one that's just starting to ship is a really interesting camera, and they have a couple of very nice wide angles. So that might be it. I don't know. What, what do you guys? And, and the other thing I would say is that, you know, if he's already got the D90, I guess you're supposed to go smaller with that. Yeah. You know, you could, I don't know. I don't know. Nicole, what, what do you think? Well, I have the Fuji X100. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a fun camera. It's a good camera. Um, it's you know it has its things that everybody knows. It's it's a slow focus camera, and it doesn't focus really really well in the dark. Mm-hmm. So it has its little things. So it's not fast. You know. So if you're looking for something that you want that's going to be fast, probably not the best camera. But yeah. if you're just planning on doing you know, I guess travel, touristy, landscape, things that you would photograph maybe with a point and shoot, but you want to get a little bit better, um, you know, a nicer composition, or that's not the right thing I want to say, uh, depth of field, nicer depth of field, like a yeah. shallow depth of field, mm-hmm. uh, which you can't really get with a small point and shoot because of the sensor size, um, then that's um, a good option. That's why I bought it. It has a nice size sensor as well. Now, did you did you buy this? Did you buy the camera, the X100, as a walk around camera, or are you putting it to work? As a, I bought it as a know. walk-around camera, and okay. honestly, I'll be completely honest, it's kind of just been sitting on a shelf for the last couple months just because I haven't really um, forced myself to take it out. But today, I literally just probably a couple hours ago uh, upgraded the firmware. It, it needed to be upgraded, and I'm going to really try and take it around with me uh, on a very daily basis and try and use it a lot more. I mean, I also have the... I got the the new Lytro camera too, so this is kind of my new fun toy to play with. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's going to be my little walk around camera too. Um, yeah. Completely different, so I'm kind of going off topic here. It's not really something that you would get for a trip, right? Um, you know, but kind of what Ron was saying, you know, if 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 he's looking for something that is going to be a higher end, nice, you know, like a higher end small compact camera like the X100 or a Micro Four Thirds maybe look into renting, you know, maybe if it's going to be like a week vacation, maybe for, I don't know, a hundred bucks, 50 bucks. I don't know. You know, I don't know what prices are, but you could find something and then just bring it with you and try it and play around with it. And then you wouldn't be investing in something and find out you meet, maybe you don't like it totally or it's agree. not, you'll never use I it again. I totally agree with that. It's a honeymoon. I mean, you're honeymoons. You're probably in a lifetime, maybe two or three of those. I mean, so just <laughs> <laughs> hopefully <laughs> if you're lucky, you know, <laughs> So just get something, you know, for that's purpose built for that particular adventure, right? You don't need to, yeah. you don't need to be buying, especially if you're, it's a honeymoon and you're, uh, you know, presumably you need to save your money for that first house and that baby and everything, right? So <laughs> save, save your money, rent, and play around with it. Then if you fall in love with the camera that you that you rented, then you can go buy it. Mm-hmm. Very cool. All right, thanks, Nicole. All right, question number two is about organizing photos from daily shoots. Um, and I'll read this one. Uh, this is from listener Michael Williams. He writes, I'm using Lightroom, uh, and I organize all my major, major shoots by year, month, and shoot. But how would you go about organizing and backing up photos from a daily shooting or daily shooting routine? He said he currently takes about 50 photos a day and mostly to find the one good photo of the day. He said he doesn't need to back up or save the majority, just the one or two good ones, and he's cool with handling large events. But how would you go about organizing daily shoots? So you're shooting every single day. Nicole, you're you're in that boat kind of. Like when you're when you're on a like a okay, I'm cranking out images for iStock, you're you're shooting regularly, right? Well what I do I organize by my shoots by, and I don't do a daily thing. I think back, like, I don't know, 2008 when I attempted to do the 365 project, 
I I did it like by folders, you know, like by every day. <laughs> so and it didn't, I didn't get through the entire year, thankfully, not thankfully, but you know, so I didn't have like all these folders with all these days. Yeah. But my typical workflow with actually organizing my files is I have everything by year. And then from there, I have everything by event or or shoot. And with stock, stock is so easy for me to categorize, uh, to organize because I import them into uh, my folder by year. And then it just goes into, you know, like, let's say like I photograph a eggs Benedict. I have a folder for eggs Benedict and I don't usually have a lot of them, maybe 20 or 30 photos that I pair down to like three or four photos that I end up using. So I, that's, that's the basics of how I do it. Now, when you're shooting every single day, you might want to condense things you know, maybe to a month, you know, monthly yeah. or quarter, you know, or weekly. Um, and then another thing, and now something that I need to do myself, which kind of supersedes actually organizing your file on a folder basis is actually uh, keywording your images. If you mm -hmm. use Lightroom or Aperture, because, and that's something that I'm really, I've been really bad at doing. And I, I have like, you know, hundreds of thousands of photos that I should go back in and just spend like a solid week in a dark room just keywording my images uh, because that way it doesn't matter where they are in your folder. You just search for them. You know, it's like it's like Gmail. If you use Gmail, uh, you can say, oh, I can't remember when they sent me that email. Let me just search for it. And then it pops right up and you can find it. So that's um, so maybe, you know, maybe try keywording them really well, putting them in monthly and then putting keywords into them so that way, you know, if you're looking for photos of flowers and you have all your flower pictures come up instead of having to search through every single day that you shot. Yeah. Now what, what about you, Ron? So are you, when you, when you, when you're on a shooting burst, are you like organizing things per adventure? Do you have a separate library per adventure? Yeah. My, mine tends to be per most of the time when I'm shooting, it's, you know, when I'm traveling uh, or occasionally when I just get inspired to shoot something else, but yeah, it's generally by category. It almost sounds like he's, you know, in a little different scenario since he really seems very focused on the daily aspect of it. I mean, a couple of points I would make, um, I mean, like Nicole said, first of all, there, there really are two methods for organizing, and they're not necessarily exclusive, but there's the tagging method, uh, and then there's just organizing things in, the, in a file system kind of method. And I think along with the tagging and sort of having information attached to photos would be just a naming scheme. I Everything I... I shoot, I immediately run through a renamer and have the file, the photo named based on the date and time it was shot. Mm -hmm. So everything is always, you know, all of my files are, are date time coded. So I can always figure out exactly what day it was shot. Now, the, the biggest issue with this is making sure your camera's got an accurate date time on it, Yeah. Um, which just burned me the other day because I forgot to reset it after I came back from Hong Kong. And so I had a bunch <laughs> of stuff that was, you know, whatever, 12 hours off. Right. Um, and there's tools for doing that. There's uh, oh, what's it called? There's a there's a command line exif, I think it's exif renamer or something that will let you date time shift even the raw files, uh, change mm -hmm. the date in them, and then you can rename based on that. And I've done that before. I've done that when I'm traveling with friends and I want to just be the organizer of everything, and I'll get you know the photos from them and realize that their date was not set according to mine. So you know, that, but anyway, back to his question. I I would say make sure that sort of the naming your files as part of your strategy as well. And then you kind of need to decide if you're shooting that much. The other thing is you really just kind of need to think about what's the, you know, what's the, the fastest way to do what you want to do. You'd probably want to play around with it a little bit and kind of come up with what, what's it going to be that isn't going to be so painful that you're going to not end up doing it. That's why I like naming by date and by time is because it's all it's kind of done for me. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Well, Lightroom makes it pretty easy. Um, if you're a Lightroom user, you can actually do what Ron was saying and re, you know, and actually alter the date and the time of your images to the raw files and write it to the raw files. If you were in, you know, Hong Kong and you came back and you realized you forgot to change it, so you can do that in Lightroom. I believe you can rename in Lightroom. Yep. You can rename in Bridge, and um, you can also search. So if you if you don't want to name them with the timestamp, you can just search for all the photos taken in January of two thousand nine on the fourteenth. Right. So the minute is there, to, you can search on it. Right? Yeah. 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 Very cool. All right. Well, cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks for answering those. All right. Let's jump into the picks, pick of the week's picks of the week real quick. This is when uh, you guys can suggest anything to the This Week in Photo listeners as long as it is somehow even tangentially related to photography. Ron, I'm going to give you the honors of going first. What is your pick of the week? Yeah, my, mine's just kind of it's a website. It's kind of a fun one. I don't know if you guys have used the website called Quora, Q-U-O-R-A. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's pretty much just a question and answer kind of website where people will post questions and then other sort of more qualified people will post answers on there. But the quality of the discussions is, is really high. It's interesting. There's a lot of people that really take time to answer very well some of these these questions and very thoroughly. And you get a lot of real sort of uh, you know, experts in the field doing that. And so you can just go to Quora.com slash photography, for instance, and there's all kinds of interesting questions. It's very random stuff, but it's all pretty fascinating. Everything from you know, how do I take more exciting pictures to when did say cheese become widespread in the portrait photography world? Um, you know, what's the most romantic photograph ever taken? Uh, can you recommend some great psychedelic photographers? So just all kinds of stuff. I think anybody interested in photography will have a lot of fun just kind of poking around in there. Uh, and, you know, you can ask questions as well. I said, you know, you're not going to get the same you shouldn't go asking extremely kind of gear-specific questions on there because I don't suspect you'll get a lot of answers. But if you have interesting things that would be of interest to a lot of people, that's what tends to promote. You get other people answering those questions. So it's just Quora.com. Very cool. All right. Quora. And for the photography section of Quora is Quora.com slash photography. Slash photography, yep. Cool. Q, Q-U-O-R-A. Correct. Q-U-O-R-A. Awesome. All right, Nicole Young, what is your pick of the week? My pick is uh, an iPhone app that is related to photography, uh, and I'm not. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm not sure if it's on any of the other types of uh, phones like Android. So, um, but I know they have it on iPhones. So if you have an iPhone, this is cool. And if you do long exposure and use any kind of like ND filters, uh, it's called ND Timer. And for those in the Hangout, I just have a. I have it up here so you can see it. Now, what it does is you're able to stack. Uh, it actually goes really well, kind of with what we were talking about earlier. Uh, you, I, I do a lot of uh, 10 stop ND filters, a Lee big stopper. So I, I, I set up by a water, you know, with rocks and the waves going over the rocks, and I want to get that nice soft, misty, blurred look. And I throw my and uh, I throw my 10 stop filter on there. Well, meters for some reason that it, there's no reason the electronics can't go this far, but they only meter to 30 seconds. And when I have a 10 stop filter on there at f22 or f16 or whatever, and it gets a little darker, I'm going to be going over 30 seconds on my exposure. So this uh, app has been made, they basically taken all of the math, math out of it. So let's say like here I am at 1 15th of a second and I put my 10 stop on there. Mm-hmm. It tells me that my exposure is a minute and eight seconds. So all I got to do is if I can do this backwards is press that. <laughs> I can't do it. Press the start timer. I press yeah. the start button and then it counts down for me. And uh, I can do anything else on my iPhone while it's timing. And then all of a sudden it'll just say ping. <laughs> you know, stop your timer, and then yeah. I'll, t- I'll turn off my camera. And so it basically has taken all that math out of the equation for me. I don't have to sit there and stare at my 
a timer on my phone while I'm doing a two-minute exposure. So, That's great. So if you do any kind of long exposure stuff, use a lot of filters. I'd highly recommend it if you have an iPhone. Now, you, what I'm hearing, Nicole, is you are 99.9% .9 of the time shooting in manual. Is that correct? Right. These days, yes. I'm either doing food photography manual or I'm doing some kind of landscape photography manual. I haven't been doing a lot of people photography. Uh, even when I am doing people photography, I'm usually going to be with lights. So I'm going to be shooting in manual. Yeah. Um, so I, a lot of what I do is manual expose. It's on tripods these days. It's been primarily on tripods. Well, for the listening, for the, the amateurs that are out there, uh, you know, there, a lot of people start shooting in program mode and then they might migrate over to one of the priority modes like shutter priority or aperture priority. And then they move into, you know, stick their toe in the manual waters once they start getting their brain around what's happening in the camera. When, when should they, when's a good time to start? Should they just like immediately start saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to start learning how to use my camera in manual and later I'll start using the, uh, the kickstands. Well, I think it's, I, you know, that's, that's a tough question because it just depends on how um, serious a person is. I think about really learning the technical side of photography. I think very geeky, you know, I'm like very both brained, you know, I really enjoy and appreciate the geeky and technical side of photography. And so I do shoot an aperture priority. That's kind of my um, my automatic mode of choice, I guess, if I'm going to not be shooting in manual mm -hmm. uh, because it's I prefer to control my depth of field, and you do that with the aperture. So, you know, if somebody wants to jump into manual, I think that if they force themselves to just shoot everything in manual and then they maybe did a little bit of studying and research on top of that, if they were very, very new to photography, they would learn. Um, it'd be, you know, a steep learning curve, but you would learn how why your camera does certain things instead of just you know sticking it in p and then make it it's like oh well i got a really shallow depth of field on this one but why didn't it work on this other one right. you know so when you experiment with manual mode then you uh and you have a lot more control i'm i'm not like one of those photographers who's um nothing wrong with this but i i'm not the type of photographer who's like oh you should only shoot in manual yeah <laughs> you not, know I, not the I, manual I, purist right no yeah absolutely not uh when i'm shooting an aperture priority i still have full control over what's happening because i'm watching my exposure as it's mm -hmm. being created i'm making sure my shutter speed is fast enough to handhold and or whatever the circumstance and i'm controlling the exposure with the uh i do this because that's the um or maybe it's this. I don't know. <laughs> the exposure <laughs> compensation dial. Yeah. <laughs> Whichever she, one it is. motions with her fingers. Yeah, I know. I'm like, people listening to the podcast, I'm moving, making little motions with my fingers showing where the dials are on the back of my camera. Yeah. Um, but the, so I'm, I'm adjusting the exposure compensation. So I'm kind of giving the camera a little bit of control with saying, you know, selecting the shutter speed. And I'm like, you know what? I want to overexpose a little bit because I know I want to meter here and this and that. Yeah. So, but I mean, it takes a little time to get to that if you're just starting. So... What about you, Ron? Are you uh, are you a manual guy, or when you're when you're running around barefoot in the uh, the jungles, are you on automatic? <laughs> no, I think I think it's more a matter of what kind of things you're shooting. I mean, like Nicole says, if you're shooting something where you're on a tripod and you're really able to take a minute to kind of figure out the exposure, and especially if you're going to be tweaking things or shooting multiple sort of objects with the same exposure or things like that, then that's that's when I use it manual as well. If I'm hmm. shooting something in effectively a studio environment. You know, you're not doing that run and gun thing where you need it to be automatic. You can dial in exactly what you want. You've got the time of doing it. Uh, whereas if it's something where you're walking around and the lighting conditions are changing, then yeah, I'll, I'll rarely be shooting manual and something like that just because you'd be constantly trying to tweak it yourself. And that's exactly when you want a computer to kind of 
figure it out for you. So I think it's more of a, a subject matter kind of thing. Yeah. You'd yeah. rather get the shot than miss it because you forgot that you were at exactly. one one thousandth of the shutter speed and you walked into the shade and yep. it's way right. <laughs> But you know, your your eggs Benedict isn't gonna run away from you so you have the time to <laughs> yeah. time to get that dialed in. So it depends. Yeah. I mean I think one of the one of the key takeaways is is if you understand what's happening, you gotta know when to use the tools. It's not it's okay to use program, it's okay to use aperture priority or shutter speed priority, whatever. Um, and shoot manual, but you have to know when to use them and, and, mm-hmm. and being able to, and understanding what's happening with manual, you're adjusting ISO f-stop and shutter speed to get a particular effect, having that power and understanding that and having your brain around that. And then being able to say, you know what, right now I'm going to let my camera pick the shutter speed, you know, mm-hmm. having, having that in your head makes you a better photographer rather than just saying, you know, I just always shoot an aperture priority. I don't know why, but that's what I do. <laughs> you know. You know, I would I would always think of like pr- pr- uh, the um, the P program mode mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. kind of your in case of emergency. Like, let's say you all of a sudden see a celebrity or something huge happens, and you know, a newsworthy event. Yep. Throw it on P. Boom, boom, boom. You know, you're gonna you're not then you're not gonna be like. Oops. <laughs> right. Yeah. Aliens. Aliens are landing. Or, 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 yeah, in, or if you in, hand the cam- <laughs> camera to somebody else too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Aliens land in Marina Del Rey, and you know you got your camera. And you need to make sure you got the shot, and it's on manual. And you're like, I forgot what I put it on. I'm just gonna put it on P, and you yeah. get the shot. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Good idea. All right. Cool. All right. Uh, my pick of the week. I actually have two quick ones. One is Insta Archive. In the last couple of episodes, actually two weeks ago, we talked about. Instagram adding Android users to the mix. Um, and then last week we talked about Facebook acquiring Instagram for $1 billion with a B. Um, and this week my pick is Insta Archive for not, not so much for people that want to leave Instagram because Instagram is still an awesome service and I still use it. Um, but if you want to back your photos up and bring them locally, bring them down to your local hard drive, you can use a service like Insta Archive to, and all you do is give it your username, your credentials to log into Instagram and it will download all of your photos from Instagram to a little zip file on your desktop. Boom. Done. So you have everything locally. Just in case, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the future. You want to have things locally, um, especially since you shot them and they presumably have a lot of memories attached to them. So we'll definitely check that out. It's called Insta Archive. You can get them at instaarchive.recollect.com or just click on the, the link that we'll throw in the show notes for this episode. And also the other one is I just found this on Photo Jojo, who are friends of This Week in Photo. They uh, have an iPhone boom mic for sale. Which is really cool because the iPhone has a crazy cool, a good H, uh, HD camera in it, HD video camera in it. But what sucks is you can do cool videos all day long, but they don't sound all that good because either you got to get the, the camera close to the subject or do some other magic to get good audio. With this thing, it sort of just plugs in there and it's a boom mic, a directional boom mic that you can record interviews, you can record you know, musicians on the street doing stuff and you get really good audio and video now with your iPhone. So definitely check that out. It's an iPhone boom mic. I think it's like 40 bucks. It's not even that expensive yeah. over at uh, photojojo.com. So check that out. All right, kids, we are at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. Nicole Young, where are you at on the internets? You can find me on Twitter. I'm Nicolesy, N-I-C-O-L-E-S-Y, or on Google+. Plus. If you search for my name, you have to put Nicole S. Young, or just type in NicolesyPlus.com, and you'll find me that way. Directs right to my page. All right, great. Thanks, Nicole. 
And Mr. Ron Brinkman, where can people find you online? Obviously on Google Plus here. I think you can just search for Ron Brinkman. And on Twitter, I am also just Ron Brinkman, R-O-N-B-R-I-N-K-M-A-N-N. Excellent. All right, thanks, guys. And listeners, to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can check out thisweekinphoto.com. Also, please support the show by leaving us a comment on iTunes. We read every single one of those. And also, speaking of iTunes, be sure to check out the TWIP podcast app. It's a ha- it's a handy way. I was going to say happy way. It is a happy way to <laughs> keep up with the shows as soon as they are released. And also, if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at mediabytes.com. It's a marketing school for photography. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. 